0: Welcome. Here at Waterstone, we focus on living and loving like Jesus. In practice, this means that we connect with one another, engage in justice, and serve others sacrificially. We are so glad that you're here and invite you to join us in person. If you're able to attend weekend services, we gather on Saturday at 5 30 and Sunday at 9 and 10 30. Tim and Joel, appreciate you taking the time to read that. Uh, We are kicking off a series on Habakkuk today, Um, and it's an exciting book. It's a three-chapter book um, at the end of the Old Testament, uh, a prophetic book about a a priest, a person of God who is wrestling with some of the deep questions um, that oftentimes we all wrestle with. Why is the world the way it is? Why does the world operate? the way that it does. And I'll just kind of let you know up front, it's a little bit of a heavy book. Um, Some of the questions that we're going to be looking at uh, are are some of the deep questions of our hearts and and theology that we wrestle with throughout our life. But before we get to some of that, I want you to take a look at this picture that I came across um, not too long ago. And it's a it's a picture of the world. It's a real photo. um, And you can see kind of the the um, lights from the cities and the way that the the sun is glowing off of the atmosphere. And a, as you look at this picture, um, and, and I looked at this image of our world, the world we live in, I, I couldn't help but think that there's something kind of calming. It, it looks like such a peaceful um, place. I mean, looking at this photo, you would have no idea that gas is four fifty a gallon, right? <laughs> You'd have no idea that, that Johnny Depp's marriage is um, just all over the tabloid news. You'd have no idea that, that kids are beginning to listen to Nirvana again and dressing like they're in the 80s and 90s grudge. I mean, some of the awful things that are happening in our world, right? You'd have no idea from looking at this picture. <laughs> but the reality is, it, it, the world, while it can look peaceful from afar, we know from living in this space, that it is chaotic, it is grim, and it is full of darkness and wickedness and evil. I mean, we have mass shooting that just seems to roll over to another mass shooting. We have war in our world. We have famine and drought and fires. I mean, some of those things that take place in our world in the midst of the chaos, they can lead us to questions of, of, God, where are you? Why is there so much hostility? Why is there so much injustice? Why is there so much wickedness in the world? And all of those questions are are valid, but there's something almost safe about asking those questions because there's something impersonal. They're more theological or philosophical. They're one step removed. We can look at the world out there and say, God, why aren't you doing more to fix those situations? but it's something much different when the questions turn personal. It was one night, it was about one or two in the morning in college and I heard a a knock on my dorm room door and my friend Ryan was at my door at one or two in the morning just in tears, tears streaming into his beard. And that's not really how you expect one of your closest friends to come to your room at 1 or 2 in the morning. Usually it's like, hey, you want to go do a Taco Bell run um, while we're studying? But this night was different. He was weeping as he came to my door. And you also have to understand that my friend Ryan is is a a defensive end of a man. He's 6'6 and 300 pounds. I mean, he's huge, massive. He's the strongest person I've ever known. He's just weeping. And he said, it's over. She's leaving. You see, he had betrayed the trust of his fiance in a few months before their wedding day, and she could not forgive him on the timetable that they had set. The trust felt irreparable in that moment. What do you do when your world falls apart? What do you do on the day where the person you love says, I can't do this anymore? What do you do on the day where your boss says, pack up your things, you're done? What do you do on the day when the doctor says, this is hard to say, but? You see, when the questions turn personal, when there's not a bow tied up on the end of your story and there's not a resolution in sight, And all you're left is with the silence and seeming absence of God. And you cry out to him, where are you, God? And why aren't you showing up in my life right now? What do you do on those days? See, the story of Habakkuk is a, a story of a prophet who is deeply wrestling with God about all of these kinds of questions, both the the theological and the philosophical and the deeply personal. He looks at the world and the chaos around him and, and the chaos going on within his own people, and he does not understand where God is or what God could be doing in the midst of so much chaos and violence and heartbreak. He just cries out to God, where are you? You see, Habakkuk lived in a time of political turmoil and upheaval. He lived in a small country named Judah, and as he lived in this small country, there was a a growing superpower that was coming to play on the world stage, the Babylonians. And this new empire was taking over country after country after country, and they were conquering all of the other superpowers of the day. And so as Habakkuk is, is watching from his little nation, he sees that the Babylonians have taken over the Assyrian Empire and conquered the Assyrian Empire, and, and there's causing so much political turmoil, and refugees are fleeing, trying to find safety, and the Assyrian Empire, that what's left of it, they travel to Egypt, and they're trying to build an alliance to stand up to this new superpower that's taking over the world and conquering it in brutal fashion. And in the midst of that is this little nation, Judea, that's, that's wrestling with who do we turn to in the midst of all of this chaos? Should we go and, and form an alliance with the, the other nations or should we turn to God and trust that he has a bigger plan? And in the midst of that struggle, of that questioning, of that doubt and confusion, Habakkuk comes onto the scene and he has a crisis of faith because he believes God is good and he believes God is just and he looks at the world and what he's experiencing and sees injustice and wickedness And he does not know how to reconcile those two realities And if you've ever been in one of those moments in your life Where what you thought you knew of God or what you believe to be true of God Your belief theology does not match up with your lived experience There's some sort of incongruence it almost always leads to a crisis of faith moment. Where is God? What is he doing? If this was true of God, then how can the world operate the way the world operates? Why can there be so much injustice and wickedness and violence and conflict? So much brokenness between our relationships. And where is God in the midst of that? why doesn't he do anything about it? You see, what you have to understand about Habakkuk is he is in a moment of personal faith crisis. Wondering where God is and why he won't show up. God does not make sense to him in this moment. And he's angry at God. He holds God responsible. And so he begins asking these questions. God, where are you? Why won't you do something? If you're good, why is there so much evil? And if you are in that place today where God is not making sense to you because of what's going on in the world or because of your personal circumstances, the book of Habakkuk is an invitation for all of us to step into that space with the big questions and wrestle with God. Notice how Habakkuk begins this short book in the way that he begins wrestling with God. In verse 2, he says, How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you won't listen. I cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate long, wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Justice never prevails the wicked him in the righteous, so that justice is perverted. See, Habakkuk primarily has two questions that he comes to God with when he looks at the world around him. And the first is, how long do I have to keep crying out before you will hear my prayers? How long do I have to ask you to show up in my world and in my life? Why are you absent? Why don't you hear my prayer? What do I have to do to get your attention? Because something is deeply broken with the world and I don't know what to do about it. So he cries out to God, How long must I wait? We come to Habakkuk, who is a weary prophet, weary of the wickedness that he sees in the world. You see, he looks out at the world and he sees a society that, that's bent towards injustice. He sees people that that twist God's rules and God's laws for their own self-interest and justify it to themselves and to God. And and he sees a community of people, a a culture that, that is just bent on destruction and injustice and oppressing the poor. And it says that justice is paralyzed. It's helpless to do anything about it because those who are in power pervert and subvert justice. And he just questions, God, how can you allow this to exist? How can you tolerate so much evil in the world? But th- the twist of it is, 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 as I came to this passage this week, I, I just had this, this moment where I thought, wow, that perfectly describes our world, doesn't it? I, I mean, so many people are bent towards injustice and, and tolerate wrongdoing and, and even revel in wrongdoing and, and don't want justice to take place. But there was this twist of a knife moment for me this week when I realized these four verses that Habakkuk begins his complaint to God are not about the world out there. They're about us in here. His complaint of injustice and tolerance of wrongdoing and the way that people have twisted the word of God is not about unbelievers or or people outside the community of faith. It's about those who claim to follow God. Habakkuk's complaint is that God is allowing his people, those who claim to have faith in him, to live lives of injustice and evil and wrongdoing. It was this twist-of-the-knife moment because it's so easy for me to, to look at the world and say, yep, they've got it wrong. And what the prophets often uncomfortably do is force us to look at ourselves. Force us to ask the question, where are we unjust? Where have we idolized violence? Where are we responsible for conflict and strife in our world? See the prophets hold a mirror up to the people of God and say, "You're you're crooked, you're bent, you have gone away from God's ways of righteousness." Uh, part of that is really discouraging because I, I think it, it forces us to ask the question: Where do we need to change? Where do we need to repent? And and I could probably fill in some of those questions and and give some of my thoughts. And I'm worried that if I did, I might just anger everyone in the room. And I don't want to deal with 50 to 100 emails today. So here's what we're going to do. Because I'm not going to fill in the blanks for any of us. And we're just going to trust that the Holy Spirit will answer some of those questions for us. Does that sound like a deal? All right, cool. Because here's the the deal with Habakkuk. is you come to the prophets, and, and it's not this, like, joyous, triumphant thing. I mean, this isn't fun. Is anyone having fun so far this morning here? Probably not. This is heavy. But here's something that, that I also think we need to see in Habakkuk's complaint to the Lord. is that the Bible is incredibly self-aware about the people of God. I think so many of us can come to the church and to the people of God, the community of faith, and we have frustrations. Well, why do Christians act the way that they do? why do I keep seeing this one Christian on Facebook keep making all of these same arguments and angering all of the same people? I mean, it can be embarrassing at times for how the Christian people carry the message of God into the world. And the Bible is not unaware of that. If you have frustrations with the church and the people of God, the Bible says, yeah, me too. It gives voice to those frustrations. It allows us to speak them out loud and to wonder God, when will your bride be more faithful to you? Habakkuk is deeply distraught at the way the people of God have lived unfaithfully to God in tragic ways. And he cries out to God and asks for God to show up and do something. But if Habakkuk is confused at the beginning of the conversation with God, God's answer leaves him even more confused. And it starts off on a seemingly good note in verse 5 where it says God answers Habakkuk's complaint and he says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, shocked, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. It sounds like God is about to show up and do something about Habakkuk's complaint. God is going to act. God shows up to Habakkuk and says, I have heard your cries. I have been listening to your prayers. Nothing has been unseen by me. In fact, I have seen everything and I want you to look and see. God is telling Habakkuk that even though it looks like he is not at work, God is always at work. But Habakkuk's not ready for the second part of the answer because while God is always at work, God does not always work the way that we want. And so God says, this is the thing I'm about to do, verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. God's answer the injustice and evil and wickedness in the people of God is to raise up another empire that will crush them. Habakkuk can't believe his ears. That's the solution? Do you know who the Babylonians are? And and you have to understand, God is not at all unaware of who they are. In fact, the next five or six verses detail in 20 different ways how violent, cruel, and brutal the Babylonians are. And Habakkuk is, is struggling to understand, how could God do this? God, how can this be the answer to all of the wickedness within your people? It's the crisis of faith moment where he does not understand God's plan and why God would work this way. I mean, can you imagine if if this applied to us? I mean, imagine for a moment that you look at the state of the church and you're grieved by the state of the church in America. You just wish things were different. You're praying fervently for revival. God, wake us up. Cause your spirit to fall on us, change our hearts, turn us back to you. Give us a heart and a spirit of faithfulness. We've been unfaithful and we need to return to you. Please help us return to you. And God's answer to that is, okay, I'll send Russia to just wipe you all out. And your presidents are going to be mocked and your governors are going to be killed and your cities are going to be destroyed and your culture is going to be demolished. I mean, could you imagine the heartbreak in that moment? The devastation of that answer to your questions. God, where are you? And God says, I'm going to send more violence, more injustice, more chaos into your lives. I mean, if the whole purpose of God is that he's just and that that we are on this path towards redemption where all things will be made new and all things sad will come untrue because of who God is, then, then why the zigzagging to get there? Like, why not just take us in a straight line? Why take several steps back with no steps forward? I mean, yeah, we, we're not perfect. We have our flaws, but we're better than Russia. We're not as unjust as the Babylonians. And Habakkuk just cannot reconcile why God would do this. Why would you send this as the answer to my cries? We having a good time so far? <laughs> it's hard. Now I was wrestling with that this week of, of why is this God's answer? Why would God do this? And I don't know that I have all the answers. And what I've been wrestling through is, is what does it mean for God to be the author of this kind of reality and existence? For, for this kind of evil to take place? It's really the question Habas- Habakkuk asks is, how could you even tolerate this if you were just and holy and good? And I-, I had this like odd moment of clarity that-, that-, that came in a parenting moment. And if you've ever been a parent, you realize that-, that most of parenting is just kind of learning from your mistakes. So most of parenting, in my opinion, is just kind of repentance for getting it wrong and hoping you do better next time, Right. In this moment, my daughter Camden, she just turned three on Friday, and she loves Cheetos. She loves Cheetos. And her aunt came over, my sister, and she had a bag of flaming hot Cheetos. Camden does not love spicy food. In fact, she hates spicy food. Spicy food is is, is like the enemy to her. It's not life-giving. It's horrible. She doesn't even like pepperoni on pizza. Pepperoni is too spicy for her. But she really, really wanted those Cheetos. And so with me and her mom, she keeps begging, can I have the Cheetos? I want Cheetos, please, I need the Cheetos. Give me the Cheetos. We kept saying, no, you can't have these Cheetos. These are flaming hot Cheetos. These will hurt your mouth. They'll kick you in the face with spice and you're gonna be miserable if you get what you want. But it came to this moment after fighting for for five or six minutes where where I just had this moment of like, okay. If this is what you want, if this is what you think will make you happy, then let's try it and see what happens. And and it wasn't out of spite. That's what we have to understand. Is that God in this moment, when he he gives people over to this violence and this injustice, and he's really saying, if this is what you want, then that's what you will receive. It's the Romans' one moment where God says he gave them over to their sinful desires. It doesn't always make sense to us on this side, but what we have to realize is there are moments in life where we are pursuing things that we think will make us happy, that we think will satisfy us, that we think will be life-giving to us, and at some point when we push hard enough, God will give us over to those things and say, if this is what you want, you can have it. And just like me with Camden, as I said, you can have these Flaming Hot Cheetos and I will be there to pick up the pieces and hold you when you cry and give you water to to kind of help with the spice. God will be there on the other side when we kind of wake up and realize the mistakes that we've made. And it's in those moments, though, the waiting in between that we don't understand why God works the way that He does. That even though God is always at work, He doesn't always work the ways that we want and we desire. See, I I think something that's hard for most of us, it's hard for me, and I think most of us know this, but, but we sometimes forget, is that God is not primarily concerned with our happiness or our security, or our satisfaction. God's relationship with us, his primary concern with us is faithfulness, holiness, becoming more like the people he has created us to be. And at times when we run from that vision that God has from us, there are consequences and the heartache God does not always work the way that we wish or that we desire. And it's in those moments, in those waiting, that that I think we can come to God and ask, Why is this the solution? Why is this the way that you work? Because that's what Habakkuk does. He does not like God's answer, he does not like the way that God is working. And so this is his response in verse 12 and 13. He says, Lord, are you not everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them, them being the Babylonians, to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish you hear the contrast, but your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked, those who are more wicked than us, swallow up those who are more righteous than themselves? See, Habakkuk is perplexed. He's confused. He's frustrated with the way that God is working in me. He, he can't understand how a God of righteousness and justice would. His solution to the injustice and evil in the world would be more injustice and evil and wickedness and violence. Like, why replace one idolatrous society with one that's more idolatrous, more violent, more wicked? It's kind of this. W-T-H moment for Habakkuk. W-T-H being what the heck, because we're in church, okay? And he's just like, what the heck, God? Why would you do this? It's a crisis of faith moment where his belief in God is shaken to its core. The God that he thought he believed in, the God he thought he knew, is not living and acting in a way that he expected, and he does not know how to reconcile those two realities. You say you're holy, you say you're good, and yet it doesn't appear that way. Again, for many of us, that's not a hypothetical. For many of us, these moments lead to the deep questions of life, the deeply personal spaces where we wonder where God is and why he's allowing suffering and devastation and evil in our lives and in our world. I was reading a a pastor this week who who was studying this passage with his church, and as a part of that exercise, he asked his church to write in and to tell them some of the, the deep questions that they wrestle with the personal questions where they are having a crisis of faith. I just wanted to read a few of them because I think they'll resonate with you and I know they resonated with me. Some of the questions that this congregation wrote into a pastor were this. Why has God not changed the heart of my husband who turned his back on God over 20 years ago? Why has God allowed our daughter? to be the victim of so much evil and tragedy? Why hasn't God healed my son? Why is there so much violent extremism being allowed to run rampant in our world? Why was I assaulted? Why did God ignore my prayers to heal my father's addiction? why did my mother suffer and die of cancer so young? See, you can feel the pain and the heart cry and the question. And I know that many of you in this room have had similar questions and similar prayers and you have cried out to God fervently, asking him to show up in your world and in your life. And it has felt like you have had nothing but silence and absence, where is God when your world falls apart? Where is God when everything comes undone? The suffering and the pain and the heartache overwhelm you and feel like it's too much to bear. I know you've prayed, I've been in, <laughs> with you in some of the hospital rooms. Habakkuk doesn't understand how a God, who is good and just and always at work, can work in this kind of way, or seemingly not be at work. And in that moment, his faith is shaken to its core. And the question for us is, is what do you do when your faith has been shaken? What do you do when God doesn't make sense? And you have this intensely personal struggle and questioning and wrestling with God and it feels like you're not getting the answers that you want. You see, Habakkuk, he, he's shaken and yet he has this amazing moment where he says, I'm gonna go to the watchtower and I'm gonna wait for your response. These are my questions. This is what I'm waiting for. I'm not satisfied with your answer. I think you have more to say. I don't believe that this is the end of the story, so I am gonna wait for you to speak again. And so he climbs to the watchtower and he says, God, I will wait for you, I want you to speak. And there's three things I want you to notice about God's response to Habakkuk in this conversation. While Habakkuk is waiting, and in the in-between when God has said he is going to act and it doesn't make sense and we can't reconcile who God is with what he is doing in the world. And the first thing that we have to see from this conversation is that God does not rebuke Habakkuk. God invites the conversation, invites the questions, invites the wrestling, is willing to go there with us. God does not chastise him, does not silence him, does not tell him to stop and be silent and just listen up because he knows the right answers. God engages with Habakkuk when his children call out to him in confusion. So go to God with our questions. The second thing that God says to Habakkuk is that I will act. You're right, this is not the end of the story. Though you can't see the big picture, though you don't understand what I'm doing in this moment, I will act and all injustice, all evil, all wickedness, all death will come undone. They will come to an end. All sad things will come untrue. I will act it will not be on the timetable you necessarily expect but it will come God says that he will act but then he gives another response to Habakkuk and he says I need you to wait a little longer and wait some more which we all love waiting don't we And that's the answer that we want, is just wait a little longer. The question for us is what do we do in the midst of the waiting? When God says he will act, that things will be made right, when we live in the in-between space when that's not true yet. When we are waiting, how should we wait? And so he, he comes to Habakkuk, waiting on this watchtower, and tells him to wait a little longer, and he says there's two ways that you can live in the time that you're waiting. It says in verse four, and see that the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by faithfulness. And what God essentially is saying here is that there's there's two options for us. You can go the way of the one who is puffed up, the one whose desires are not upright, And what God is essentially saying is there's a way to live in the waiting where you live apart from me, where you live self-sufficient from me, where you don't think you need me at all in the midst of the world that you're living in. And so you go your own way, you live your own life, and you don't live according to my rules, my standards, my laws, my way of righteousness, and this, this word that he uses, the, not, the desires that are not upright, it's kind of the antithesis of righteousness. Righteousness has this image that, that you're on the straight and narrow, that, that you're kind of in line with God's will for your life. But those who are unrighteous, those who are, are not upright, they have this, this crookedness, this bent, this distorted reality that they live from, where they don't resemble who God has created them to be. And he says, in the waiting, you are welcome to go that way. He goes on in verse 5 to say that that wine betrays such a person and he is arrogant and never at rest because he is greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captives all the people. Living for selfishness and self-interest and just living so you can have what's yours. There's a way that we can live in the waiting where we functionally are atheists where we are self-sufficient from God and have no need of God in our lives. And he says to Habakkuk, that's an option. But he also says there's another way, the way of dependence on God. And he says, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. It's said that that phrase, most Old Testament scholars would say that that phrase in many ways summarizes the entire theme of the Old and New Testament. In fact, throughout the New Testament, Paul and the other authors of the epistles, they pick up on this idea that the righteous person will live by faithfulness. And so inherent in that is that the righteous person is the one who lives according to God's standards, lives in alignment with God's will. But it's more than that. This idea of faithfulness is not just about morality. It's about trust and dependence. That in the midst of the chaos of our world, when things are going wrong, the righteous person is the one who trusts God no matter what takes place and is dependent on God, clings to him for all their worth. God says, there's a way you can live in this world where when everything is shaken, you can turn to me, the one who is unshakable. That while we live in this space where we have deep questions and longings and heartache and cries for God to show up in our world, God says, you can trust God me when everything is shaken because I will not be shaken. And what you see in the story of Habakkuk, it's fascinating. He comes with this interrogation of God, with these big questions, with these doubts and these confusions and these wrestlings. And what you see in this intensely personal conversation with God is that in the midst of this, The God that Habakkuk encounters with these questions, it turns our doubts into devotion. It it turns our worries into worship. It turns our anxiety into adoration. That it's in the questioning and wrestling and the deep moments of hurt in our life when it feels like God cannot be seen. If we run to him with those things, honestly, we will encounter a God that meets us in those spaces, that is always at work, even in ways that we do not expect or hope for or want. Because that's what God has always done. And thank God that he works in ways we don't expect and in ways that we can't imagine or fathom because that's the story of the cross of Jesus Christ. Is that the moment that looked like defeat, the moment that looked like evil had won, the moment that looked like the very world was shaken, When Christ died, the world at its foundations shook. And yet it was the moment that began to unravel all evil and wickedness. It was the moment that salvation and redemption and hope were born. God always works in ways that we don't expect. When we come to the table today to communion, I would encourage you to to take a moment before you go to the table to be honest with God about your questions, honest with God about the wrestling and the doubt and the circumstances in your life where God does not make sense. And then bring those to the table because it is in the brokenness of the body of Christ And the blood that he shed for us, that those things begin to take on a new light and a new hope. That God invites us into the conversation, the question, and the doubt. The answer to our worries is a savior that was willing to suffer and die and experience the wickedness and injustice of our world on our behalf. And so, would you pray with me today as we come to the Lord's table? God, I know that there are those in this room today carrying deep wounds and questions and wrestling and doubt, that that your expectations have not aligned with their expectations that their hopes and their dreams and their plans have come crumbling down and they're just left wondering, where are you, God? God, I pray your presence in our lives today that we could experience your comfort and your grace and mercy alongside us in the wrestling, that we would see in you a God who welcomes the hard conversation. And God, as we come to the table, may we be reminded that this side of eternity, your plans don't always make sense. That sometimes we wish that you would show up differently than you do. And yet you show up in the cross, the place that is the source of our life and our hope. I pray that we could cling to you with that truth. God, I pray that that you would turn our doubt and confusion into devotion and adoration, that we would experience life with you, that the the righteous will live by faithfulness, and that we would cling to you in the midst of a chaotic world. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.